I'm Chris, and with me is Matt, and we're slowing down, talking to the people around us, between the miles. Matt, uh, I am looking forward to today's guest uh, uh, with Chris Codwell, because um, let's just say uh, you've told me a lot about him, um, and uh, I'm uh, really excited to uh, get to know him. So why don't you share with everyone a little bit about Chris before we jump into the interview? Yeah, so um, you know, I think first and foremost, it goes without saying that Chris was a connection um, that you know I alluded to really, you know, probably early on in the episode through Kate McKay, uh, who was on our first episode that wasn't us. <laughs> um, and and Chris is uh, Chris is just oh man, he is just so unique. He brings uh, tremendous energy, and um, he's someone that uh, that I, I think. You know, in my mind, right, he's got this company called Live Your 10. And I think, you know, so much of it embodies, you know, I'd say all the work he's put in to, you know, be living the life uh, by design that he wants. And now he's at a point where he can pay that forward. And uh, I, I just, I think so much, uh, so many great things are coming out of it. So I, I hope people have uh, pen and paper ready because I, I think there's some uh, really good things to take away from today. So you guys heard Matt, get your pen and your paper ready because without further delay, here is our conversation with Chris Caldwell. Chris, what's up, brother? How are you? Uh, I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. Yeah, Chris Caldwell joining us today and uh, super excited about this. Uh, you know, one of the the, the things that Chris uh, Wesley and I uh, set out to do was really uh, connect with um, some phenomenal people here in Baltimore. And, and one of the things is is uh, connecting through our connection. So Kate McKay, right, mm -hmm. uh, brought us together. So Chris, for people that don't know you, why don't you just fill us in a little bit about uh, who you are, what you do, and and uh, we can we can take the ball and run with it from there. Sure. Yeah. Um, so as you mentioned, Matt, um, my, my name is Chris Caldwell. I live in Baltimore. Uh, I have a, a wife and, and two little girls. Um, I'm, I'm currently moving around a bit this summer, uh, which has been a lot of fun. So I'm in Minnesota right now as I'm talking to you. Um, but I am a, I'm a life and business coach. I, I work primarily with uh, executives and individuals, um, and I help them overcome their fears uh, rediscover their confidence, realize their potential. So usually the people I work with say things like, you know, on, on paper, I'm really successful, but I don't feel fulfilled. Or, you know, if, if people only knew I'm not quite as uh, joyful as my Facebook or my Instagram lets on. Uh, so I work with individuals uh, in that regard. And I work with, with companies in uh, sales training and coaching and per personal and team development. So that's what I've been doing. I launched my business in January of 2021, and uh, it's been it's been quite a ride uh, since then. Well, yeah, and and you know, like businesses, I guess they pop up to most people, right? Like all of a sudden, right? You've got this brand, Live Your Ten, and sure. if someone doesn't know you, you started in January 2021, right? Yep. But for you, or for people that do know the journey you know, where, where do you think this really began? Like, where do you think you, it, it really started to, um, I guess, whether it was the work you did with yourself or just started to take shape that you were going in this direction? Yeah. So, um, and I, thank you. Thank you for mentioning it. Uh, the name of my company is Live Your 10 and we can dive more into, you know, uh, where that name comes from 
later in the later in the conversation. And I, I think when I reflect upon where my journey began, um, I used to be a teacher. So I, I was a history teacher uh, and I, I coached sports and, and did uh, help lead facilitate and lead retreats, uh, personal development, spiritual retreats. Um, and I did all that. And I think for me, I realized I wasn't fulfilled. Something was off uh, in my life about a decade into that career. And I didn't know exactly what it was. And I received feedback from people um, directly or indirectly uh, about uh, how they viewed me or what their perspective of me was. And I began to dig deeper and deeper into that and realized that I wasn't being the person that I wanted to be. And I didn't know why. And I didn't know what was keeping me from doing it. But I knew I needed to change something in my life in order to, uh, you know, help myself realize what was going on with me. So I, I left my teaching career. Um, I, I spent about the last year of my teaching career really going deep um, and trying to better understand what was going on with me and what, what was creating this persona that I had built up that was leaving me feeling stuck and unfulfilled and not really challenging myself or tapping into my truest potential. So I, I left the teaching teaching field. Uh, I went into business. I did coaching and consulting for um, a training company. And then I went in-house to work for a, a corporate company to build a team and to coach and develop a team. And I've since left to uh, start, start my own business to help, honestly, to help people who are like me, uh, you know, running into the same issues I was running into five years ago, in which I just, I didn't know exactly what was going on, but I knew that there was something better out there for me. And so uh, that, that's what I help. The individual clients I work with, that is primarily what I help them with. It's awesome. So it's almost like you meet people in transition or help them make that transition because they've taken themselves to that point, right? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, oftentimes it's because they've already started the, the journey and, and, they, and they need help. Um, other times the point that they're at is the point that this is not working in my life. I don't know why it's not working in my life. Um, I don't know what to do. And if I knew what to do, I wouldn't necessarily know how to do it. Yeah. Um, so that, that's, that's oftentimes when people reach out to me is that they're in that spot in their life. So you, you mentioned that this, like, this feeling, um, this process ha was happening kind of over the last five years, right? Um, and when, whenever we're making these types of changes, there's all sorts of obstacles and things that um, are standing in the way. What do you feel like was, were some of the things that were toughest to let go of or to move from in order to move towards this career? Wow, that's a, that's a loaded question. Um, toughest to let go of. I think for me, and, th and this is, I, I believe this is where the core of all my unhappiness lay is I had really outsourced my, my personal power and my personal identity. So I grew up um, a competitive guy. Uh, I played a lot of sports. Um, I engaged in competition as much as I could. And uh, what I found is that over time, I programmed myself to view the world as a finite competition. Uh, not, not the infinite world that it really is. 
So uh, sports are amazing. Uh, I, I love sports and I think they're very healthy in a lot of ways. And if not um, framed properly, can create unhealthy views of the world. And so that's what I had done. Everything was a competition in my life. And um, I wanted to be the best teacher. I wanted to be the best coach. Uh, I wanted to be the best retreat leader, as crazy as that sounds, right? I just wanted to be the best at everything, which is great. Okay, um, that, that can drive you. You can find material success and professional success that way. The problem was if when I wasn't the best, which are things I often couldn't fully control, um, it would impact how I felt about myself. Um, how I felt about my career, how I felt about whatever the activity was. And it just got to the point where I felt like I was being driven to win a competition that didn't actually exist. And because of that, it was sapping me of my presence and my joy. And um, that was what I wanted to figure out because I knew that this was not a way I wanted to keep living my life. Um, so I think letting go of that Letting go of the fact that like, I'm not, yes. Do I play the role of a father? I have two young children. Yes, of course. Do I play the role of a husband, uh, the role of a coach, employee, friend, son, brother, whatever it is? Yes. But I'm not any of those things. Um, I'm, I'm much more than those things. And so if I fail in those different roles in my life, um, I can't allow uh, my self-concept to become one of failure. Uh, because there's a big difference between my self-worth on a scale of one to 10, I'm a 10 and, and my self-concept, which is usually a bit of a roller coaster ride day to day, depending on how I'm performing in different roles. That was the hardest thing for me to let go of. Um, but by letting go of it, it's allowed me to really take my power back and be a much more authentic version of myself, uh, which is such a better way to be, to be living my life. Well, you know, you talk about, uh, you know, the first thing that, that, that you had said was you outsourced, right. Was the yep. word, right. That you had this finite, uh, versus the infinite mindset, um, that you had this like desire to be the best. And it's almost like you were competing against goals that either you couldn't win or you were competing against other people. Mm -hmm. And to me, what keeps showing up in, in each of those aspects, which it sounds like you started to identify is, is it was almost like you were deriving your energy and this power and all these things externally, when really you need to turn inwards and work your way out, right? And so how much does that show up in the work, I guess, that you're doing with people today, you know, and, and getting them to identify, you know, what is external versus what is internal. That is the most common threat. I literally haven't worked with anyone who wasn't struggling with that exact issue. Now, on a scale of one to 10, some struggle with it at 10, others at one or two. But I haven't still to this day met anyone who doesn't struggle with that from time to time. And oftentimes when uh, the, the clients I work with who make the most progress are the ones who have outsourced that power uh, more, more than others. Um, so it, it's been, it is the linchpin of everything that I, I work with, with my clients on, because, you know, we were born into this world and we believe we could do anything. You know, you go ask a little toddler, what do you want to be when you grow up? They say, astronaut, 
Well, if they knew what a rocket scientist was, they may say that, you know, president, I want to be LeBron James. I want to be, you know, Simone Biles. Like, I mean, and there's a genuine authenticity in their belief that they can not be exactly like that person, but achieve greatness that like there, there's no reason they can't. And then we go into school and we have teachers and school systems set up rules for how to be successful. Uh, rules that we didn't agree upon and rules that we never um, contributed to. And we have parents who establish rules for how we're a good son or daughter that we never agreed to. And then we play sports and, and we have coaches to establish how things should be done. And we have friends who give us feedback on how good of a friend we are and on and on and on. And it's like we, we, for me, I realized after 30 years of that, I had about 15 different roles that I played day in and day out that all had rules that had been established for what success or failure looked like. And I never established any of those rules. And I was never part of any of those conversations. Um, and so I found myself just trying to conform to these different these different roles in order to get what I wanted from other people, which was love, acceptance, a sense of worthiness, companionship, friendship, um, approval, it, it, et cetera. And so um, I've yet to find anyone who hasn't struggled with that at some point in their life. So yeah, that's the, that's at the core of everything, everything I work with my clients on. I appreciate um, because, uh, yeah, I know for me personally and, and with some of the clients I work with, right, we, we follow these unspoken rules or these rules that we're not sure what the genesis or where they came from and, and they cause stress or anxiety in our lives and, and everything um, from there. And um, I, I don't know about you, but there's times where I go back even to their adolescent years, right, their younger years, and, and you see that it emerged from, from growing up. Uh, um, and, and, and so what I would like to do is kind of go back, right. Go back to, uh, uh younger Chris's years. Okay. And, um, obviously like with co coaching is not teaching, but it is this bestowing of wisdom and it is listening and, and sharing, um, information. So, uh, this idea of going into teaching, was that something, um, that you've always wanted, you always wanted to do as a, as a kid or a teenager? Was that an influence of parents and everything like that? Tell us a little bit more about that path into teaching. Well, I, I think that I've always loved kids. Um, and I, I mean, I really, I, I really love kids. I'm that 35 year old who like, if the kids are playing, like my inner child's coming out and I'm going to play too. And uh, so I, I've always loved kids. Um, I've always felt a connection with kids and young adults. Um, so that always drew me teaching. I was a huge history nerd um, as, as, as a kid. My dad got me onto that. He's, he's a big history buff. And I'm very active and I have a lot of energy. So I thought that being up in front of a room, working with kids, teaching history, like, man, what could be better than that? Um, and, and so that was, that was part, part of the reason. And uh, upon reflection, the more I think about it, there were, there were other reasons too, right? There were expectations of, from my parents and from whoever else in my life that I gave that power to of the type of person I should be and the type of things I should be doing. And um, there's certainly a very high conscientious streak within me. 
And so I felt like, you know, going into this noble profession of teaching is a way that I can give back and, and a way that I can, um, you know, if they say in the Jesuits, be a man for others. And uh, so that was one reason. And the third is because, um, to be honest with you, I was scared. Um, I was pretty confident that teaching was something I could do and do at a high level uh, right away. Um, even though I knew I had a ton to learn and a lot of great people I could learn from, I believed that when I got out of college, I could get up in front of a room and I could be a, a very effective teacher. And so in a lot of ways, it was the path of belief resistance. It was something that I knew I would be good at. So it was something I was more interested in exploring. And, you know, fast forward 10 years, I think that really is the core of why I ended up being unhappy doing it. Um, because it, for whatever reason in my life, it was a path that I viewed as the easy path. Um, and certainly by the way, teaching is not easy. <laughs> I just want to make that very clear to everyone. Like it is not easy. I have enormous amount of respect for teachers, especially what they're going through now with COVID teaching is not easy at all. But for me, it was just all my natural skills. Um, were, were on display when teaching. So it was just more of a natural thing for me. So are you cool if we go back to uh, something you just, you, you were talking about, you know, you, you took that sure. path because you were scared, right? Yeah. And I know you just, you kind of explained it. it was the easier path and everything like that. But was there something that deep down inside you were thinking like, oh, I wish I could do this, but teaching seems more of like the slam dunk, more of like the clearer path yeah i think so i wanted to be in sports broadcasting i wanted to be you know stuart scott i i grew up watching stuart scott and kenny main and um you know keith olberman and all those guys on sports center i loved sports i loved to talk uh you know i i i believe myself to be a bit witty or funny uh when when i have to be um and so that's what i wanted to do and i realized that I didn't, to be honest with you, I didn't want to grind the teenage version of me when I was deciding what I wanted to do for my career. I didn't want to grind for 10 or 15 or 20 years in, you know, podunk towns covering local sports. I like, and I just realized like, no, I just want the, I just want to be at the, on the desk at ESPN. I don't actually want to do the job. Um, so I think there's a lot of fear there in that I didn't actually believe that I could get to the mountaintop in that, in that career. So I, uh, along with other practical reasons, I discarded it, but, you know, Jim Carrey said about 10 years ago in a, um, commencement, commencement speech that he made is that most of us, uh, choose our, our path. Um, our path that we choose is defined by fear disguised as practicality. And I think that that's what it was for me. Um, I didn't really believe I could get to where I wanted to get in that career. So I chose a more practical path of teaching, which really was just because I was afraid of going all in on um, broadcast journalism and not finding the success that I, I believed I, I wanted. Um, and that's a scary proposition. Well, let me just thank you for sharing that because um, that was similar to me. Um, I wanted to get into filmmaking 
and I wanted to be right up there on the stage receiving my Oscar. Of course. Yeah. <laughs> not, not, um, you know, uh, trying to, um, you know, get out, um, and, you know, uh, wrap up cords and clean, you know, get coffee mm-hmm. and, and all those kind of things and, and everything like that. And, um, it's funny though, because it's not like, okay, that wasn't working out. So what's the, you know, uh, what's the next clear path? I, you know, uh, got into youth ministry because I, I guess that was it because I just needed a job. Um, and, uh, it became a career. Um, but it's kind of funny how life happens that way. Right. It's, uh, mm-hmm. you have this yearning, this desire and to grind after it <clears throat> seems so scary. And so we look just naturally right for that natural, easy path. Um, and, uh, Sometimes we have to go through pain just to get back on the path we're supposed to be on Sure. in that regard. So really do appreciate you sharing that. Sure. Yeah. And I think that really the, the path I wanted was um, fame and money and, you know, being viewed as this, you know, of course, it's just me competing again, being viewed as the best at this or the best at that. And, uh, you know, broadcast journalism or whatever it is, it's just a conduit to that feeling and uh it's very scary when you when you doubt whether or not you can actually reach that mountaintop and what the moment those doubts kick in you take a look at what the path is and say like is this really a path i want to go down because there's a chance that the means are the end like i'll I'll just always be on the path and is this a path i always want to be on uh if i never reach that pinnacle and it became very clear to me very quickly that no i actually don't want to be covering the local high school soccer game for three years like and and, i mean i much respect to the guys and the gals out there hustling and grinding in those careers because it is an awesome career but one of my best friends did it and he's still doing it now and he's finding some success in dc and so happy for him but man the last 10 years of his life he he has grinded and worked his butt off and covered anything and everything in order to finally get to where he is now. Well, you know, what's interesting about that is, is uh, you know, quick snapshot just in relatability here is I actually did sports broadcasting when I was in college. Okay. And I remember, you know, back in the day, right? Like us, us gray beards, um, you know, we, we burned, we burned our, our, you know, our highlight reel onto Mm -hmm. a disc and we sent it out. And Chris, I I mean, I had uh, a very similar experience and feeling to you and, and I'm, you know, I kind of want to go in a, in a direction, you know, with this, but I did, you know, it was like, I was sending things out to Altoona, Pennsylvania and Huntsville, Alabama Mm -hmm. and Bismarck, North Dakota, right. To have these play-by-play baseball opportunities in minor league baseball. And and number one, it's super competitive. Yeah. Oh yeah. and I was just underprepared. Like, you know, you think, you, you know, as you mentioned, you think you're top of the world, you're top of the food chain where you are, whatever it is. And it's just, you know, I did nothing. I did nothing in those unseen hours to actually hone the craft, right? Mm-hmm. I built no relationships, right? To get my foot in the door, right? At that point in my life, I had that finite mindset that like, I'm going to send these CDs out and someone's going to think I'm great, you know? And, and then you don't hear anything back. Right. So you all of a sudden you're like, okay, well, I guess I'll pivot to 
going the route of business, right? And, and you know, that took me to Denver, Colorado, which was awesome. I loved it. Like that was a place that, you know, was, you know, Denver or Huntsville, like what you going to choose? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, but the reality of it is, is that like when you reflect, our life is always evolving and changing, right? It's just, are you driving or are you a passenger? Yeah. You know, and it, it, you know, it, it took me a couple of years to realize like, man, I like driving a lot more than I like looking out the window, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and so can you talk, I guess, to our listeners about, you know, sometimes there are pivots that you identify and you consciously make. And sometimes there are these little things along the way that we can learn from and grow from that whether they're setbacks or whatever, uh, you know, they, they are helping to to define the pathway that we're on. Yeah. I think that, you know, if one of the key things that I've really learned throughout my journey and I, I believe to be true, uh, is that we're always, like you said, Matt, we're always growing. We're always evolving. We are meant to grow. We are meant to evolve. We are meant to change. And it's interesting because our heart knows that, right? I mean, it has empirical evidence from our lives. I'm 35. I've been growing and changing and evolving for 35 years, right? Uh, Physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually. And uh, that's scary. It's a scary reality for our ego that we're going to grow and evolve and change because that implies that our future is unknown. And so oftentimes what I find more than anything with with the clients I work with is that they're very resistant. Their head, their ego is very resistant to their the greater truth of their life, which is you will grow, you will evolve, you will change and everything will be okay. And the more you lean into the fact that you don't know what your future holds um, and that's okay, and you don't even know who you'll be 10 years from now, and that's okay, the more you can lean into that, the more uh, presence you can have, the more power, personal power you can take back, and the more you can uh, you know, connect and get aligned with who you really are and what you really want to do because you've dropped the stories of who – you have to be. And um, so I think that that, I, I mean, it sounds so simple, right? Yes, it's simple. Simple, yeah. Easy, no. And I think more than anything, it is embracing that idea in my life has allowed me to look at different opportunities in my life with just a totally different perspective, totally different perspective. And it's allowed me to let go of feeling like I have to control or predict what's going to come next, which has allowed me to be much more peaceful and less anxious about uh, a, a personal journey, a professional journey, you know, journey in fatherhood as a husband, as a friend, as a son, brother, whatever it is. Um, and once you recognize that your path um, is always one of evolution and change, you, uh, you allow other people's paths in other people in your life, you allow their path to be one of evolution and change. And so 
you encourage their change. You encourage them taking risk in their life and you embrace the fact that, uh, you know, uh, one day my relationship with this person may be considerably different than it is now. And, and that's okay. But I want to make sure I really enjoy the relationship I have with them now because it brings so much joy and fulfillment to my life. Because who knows how I'm going to change in the future or how this person's going to change. Um, and whatever happens, it happens for a reason. And so that, you know, I, I don't know if that resonates with either of you, but that's something that really has, has allowed me to unlock my confidence and my conviction in the next stage of my life, because I know I have no idea what the next stage of my life holds and I'll set goals and I'll, I'll try to follow a North star, but I can't predict what the universe is going to bring into my reality. And I'm okay with that. Um, I'm okay with that. Yeah. And it's, it is important to, to, to remain open to that, to remain open to, uh, however, like what, whatever lays ahead, because we only find it, we find out, um, too often, uh, how little control we have and, uh, and so, and, and that can shake us up and, and scare us, but it can also, if you look at it a different way, be this incredible opportunity to learn and, and discover so many, uh, just different, beautiful and wonderful things about ourselves and the people around us. Um, so, Chris, with this, uh, you, you, you said at the beginning that um, Live Your 10 started in January of 2021, mm -hmm. right? So if you do the math, it wasn't too long ago. Nope. What What are some of the things that you are learning about um, uh, starting this business, the coaching, the mentoring um, that, uh, that maybe you didn't expect going in? And, um, and so, uh, you're, you're constantly exploring and, and, and learning more and more about uh, specific avenues or, or things about starting a business. Uh, when it comes to starting the, starting the business, I, I didn't quite have the entrepreneurial roller coaster. Many people often do, um, before I officially left my corporate position to begin my business, I already had, um, two or three clients, two or three clients lined up. So I, I was able to, um, as someone once, once told me, I was fortunate in that I was able to dip my toe into entrepreneurship, right? Um, and so it has been challenging and there have been ups and downs, but I, I haven't quite experienced the uh, sense of scarcity or anxiety that other, other entrepreneurs do. And I'm, I'm very grateful for that. Um, and I, I feel very fortunate in that regard. Um, I think that that, coincides with the number one thing I've learned in, in this short period of time is that um, in this life, you can have your cake and eat it too. But in order to do that, you have to believe that you can. And the reason why so many people don't have like personal fulfillment and professional success or an income that they want and the freedom and flexibility that, that they, their heart desires. Um, <clears throat> It always begins, there are practical obstacles that can get in the way, certainly, but it always begins with the fact that they don't think they can. They don't believe they can. And <clears throat> so I was fortunate enough to be working with a coach when I was still in corporate and I was considering, not considering, I was going to transition into my coaching business and I wasn't sure exactly how I wanted to do it or when. And um, the one thing that really helped in that process is I believed that I can transition into this business and maintain the relationships I have 
um, and not burn bridges. And I don't have to cut everyone off. Um, I can have my cake and eat it too. And the people that I've worked with um, in the corporate world, uh, they can have it too. Like they can allow me to start my coaching business and I can still work with them and I can still do the things that they need me to do. And we can take it day by day, week by week, month by month, year by year, whatever it is. But, um, you know, there's not, it's not a competition here. Like there is a win-win in for everyone here. So that Chris, more than anything is the number one thing I have learned. And the number one thing I think that I, I'm always so proud of my clients when they get to that point is that like, yeah, you can have your cake and eat it too. Like you can live an unbelievably fulfilled personal life and be a badass professional. Um, you, you can do that, right? You can be a great dad and a great boss at the same time. You can be a great friend, uh, you know, and have time for your friends and be a great uh, entrepreneur at the same time. Um, you just have to decide that you believe you can do it. And then you have to build a plan on what that would look like and, and how you would get it. Yeah. It, you know, it's, what's interesting is um, it, it's bringing up so many questions for me, right. Which then makes me pivot and think, okay, so Chris, I'm sitting down getting ready to really envision how I can live my tent. Right. So mm -hmm. outside of directly working with you. Sure. What are some of the, what are some of the questions I can begin to ask myself, right. That, that, that could start to unlock this journey. What are some of those powerful questions? Yeah. I, I think, I think for me, um, the, 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 well, the, the first thing you would want to do, I would recommend, I think the, first thing to do is to sit down and take out a sheet of paper and write down all the different roles you play in your life and write down what success looks like in that role and what failure looks like in that role and envision it, feel it because you've, you've succeeded and failed in all of them at some point. And um, when you, when you think about that failure, think about how you felt and think about why, um, what story were you telling yourself when you failed? Uh, how did that feel? What were you trying to, what part of your cup were you trying to fill up by finding success in that? What were you trying to prove? So the, the two questions that float around in my subconscious more than any others, and I found that it, it's the same with my clients, um, both in, in their own way, lead back to a sense of imposter syndrome. And one is, uh, who do you think you are? And the other is if they only knew. And so, you know, whenever I really want to like proceed with confidence or conviction or belief that I can get something and I'm worthy of something, that voice of like, who do you think you are? What makes you so special? You know, raised in a, in a devout Catholic household, um, you know, we were taught this concept of humility and the concept of humility I was taught was that, um, don't talk about yourself, which is, which is good in, in most cases, right? But it was also like, don't be proud of what you've accomplished um, in, in its own way, right? And my parents didn't, they didn't so support the idea. They were unbelievable parents. I mean, I had two unbelievable parents, but it is that, that concept of like, don't talk about yourself, be humble, be quiet. Um, don't, 
step into that power, that confidence, because then you're cocky, you're arrogant, you're whatever it is. So it just keeps you playing small for that voice. Like who, who do you think you are? And then the other voices, if they only knew, mm-hmm. right. We, we love all these people in our life, but we're convinced that if these people we love knew the real version of us, the truest, rawest, most authentic version of us in our, in all our warts, um, that they wouldn't love us the way they do. They love us because the, the version of us that they know is the one we project out into the world. And so there's this deep-seated fear, at least in me <clears throat> and in, in many of the people I work with, that it's like if people only knew who I really was, if people only knew all the mistakes I make, if people only knew the thoughts I think, <laughs> then they, they wouldn't love me like they love me now. So I have to make sure that I continue to live into a projection, this, this story of who I am, um, because if I am my true, most authentic self, um, I, I will I will lose love and I'll lose acceptance. Mm-hmm. So when in those roles where you fail in those roles, right, if you write down those roles, um, I, I would attach those two questions of who do you think you are and if they only knew. And, and when you're, when you failed in those roles and you're feeling that feeling, which of those two questions is sort of the anchor for that feeling? And, and what is it that you're afraid of? Because there's always a fear, uh, underpinning every sense of anxiety, uh, depression, frustration, overwhelm. Um, there's, there's always a fear, a deep, deep fear there. And so connecting you know, where that fear is coming from and why is, is the first thing. So ask yourself, what am I afraid of? And the answer, I'm not afraid of anything is a wholly unacceptable answer because that's just your mind talking that that's just your brain being afraid of exploring what you're afraid of. Um, I tell my clients all the time when I ask them the question, what are you afraid of? They are not allowed to say nothing because it is never true. It's never true. Yeah. Um, cause you're not a robot. Yo, you're afraid of something or else you would just do it. So, so here we are, right? We're asking ourselves, who do we think we are? If we only knew. If they only knew. Yeah. If they only knew. Mm-hmm. So, yep. so that's where you're kind of, you're staying inward, but you're, you're starting to bring it, the external factors in. Is that? Yeah. Right? Yeah. So it's like, so for example, um, you know, a lot of my programming began, began when I was younger. I was a very good baseball player uh, for a brief period of my childhood. Um, my, my father was my coach. Uh, he's an unbelievable man, unbelievable father, and he was a great baseball coach. Uh, he was a very good baseball player when he was younger. Um, there was an expectation that my brothers and I would be very good at baseball. Um, I got hit in the head. I, you know, I got like a bit of shell shock. Uh, when I, and from that moment on, I did something called stepping in the bucket which is basically a mental tick in baseball where you step toward third base because you're, you're afraid of the ball hitting you. It's like getting the yips on a golf course and not being able to putt a two foot putt. And so I went from being, you know, one of the best players, if not the best player in the league to genuinely one of the worst overnight. And, um, you know, that really talk about imposter syndrome coming up, you know, you're the coach's son, you're this, you were the number one pick or into the next league and this, and they expect you to, to perform at a certain level. And then all of a sudden you can't, 
And uh, I think, I, I mean, I was a young kid, 11, 12. I mean, it was really traumatizing for me um, at the time. At the time when you're 11 and you're in that, that's the most important thing in the world. And so um, that question of if they only knew, yeah. you know, if they only knew like just how much this was hurting me to be bad at this, if they only knew that I'm not as good as they think I am, I'm mm-hmm. really not. All these people think I'm good. I'm actually not good. Um, and and I, I, I'm really not good. And I'll show them when I go up and strike out three times, I'll show them how, how not good I really am. And, uh, you know, it's so, so that failure that you're experiencing in one of those roles is creating your self-concept is for me, it's like, I, I can always find more clarity when I say, why am I feeling this feeling right now? Um, when I perform poorly, uh, at, in, in this role, is it connected to, this question of like, who do you think you are? Is it quite connected to this question of if they only knew? Um, you know, Chris, I, I really love that. Um, and one of the things that um, I, I love that you are doing is you are giving people permission to, sh- to be vulnerable and really explore that question, right? Um, and the more that we can sort of unleash those fears and, and be authentic um, with those who are around us and, and project who we truly are, um, then the further we can move down the line and getting stuff done. Um, in what ways do you encourage or, or how would you encourage like a business owner or a team leader to create that kind of environment where people don't have to you know, be trapped by the imposter syndrome or have to be worried about always you know, being someone that they aren't. Um, what are ways that we can facilitate that in the different team or community or group environments that we're a part of? I, I think it always begins with you. So if you are one of the leaders of, of a team, if you're the coach of a team, if you're the leader of an internal team and business, I, I still, even though I have my business, I still serve as an outsourced leader of a team in, in the corporate world. And um, everything begins with me. It's always my fault. Um, and if, if for some reason my brain talks me out of it being my fault, it's definitely always my responsibility. So if I want someone to, you know, be the most authentic, honest version of themselves in the environment, in the work environment, that I'm managing them or leading them in, I have to be the most authentic, honest version of myself. Um, And I have to make sure I'm communicating always from a place of love and not from a place of fear. Uh, That doesn't mean that you can't be critical of people. It doesn't mean that you can't hold them accountable. Um, It just means that you have to do it from a place of genuinely knowing that that criticism or that accountability will make them better and will improve their life. Uh, Not because you're feeling some type of fear because someone on your team is not performing the expectations. And oh my God, what does that mean about me and my ability to lead them or my ability to grow this team or my ability to accomplish my goals? The moment you begin any type of communication from from that perspective is the moment all trust and everything begins to fall apart. So a couple of weeks ago, 
the, this team that, that I, I lead uh, every Friday afternoon, we have what's called book club. And so, you know, the teacher and me has never died. And so I find them homework every week and they read a couple of chapters of a book and then we talk about it. And uh, it's usually a personal development book, maybe a book within sales, which really, I mean, those two things go hand in hand <clears throat> in a lot of ways. And so what we were talking about is one of the members of the team went to Indiana University from Indiana, big Bob Knight fans, and they're having this big debate over Bob Knight. Was he a good coach? Was he not a good coach? Do people love it? Some people love him. Some people hate him. <clears throat> and I said that, you know, I, I think that the reason Bob Knight's such a polarizing figure is because he clearly loved his players and he clearly loved the game of basketball. And there's a certain point where his communication was coming from a place of genuine love and desire for his players to be better versions of themselves on and off the court. And then there's, there's a critical moment when he gives feedback in which it goes from a place of love to a place of fear. And then instead of coming from a place of like, I genuinely want you to do better and be better for you. And I know if you do that, it will be better for me. Uh, it goes from that to now I'm communicating because your lack of performance is scaring me deep down. It's triggering a fear that I have where maybe I'm not enough as a coach or uh, if they only knew that I don't know how to get you to perform at a higher level. Um, and, you know, these, the imposter syndrome of, of who do I think I am? I just won a national championship and now my team's lost three of their first five games. And so I'm freaking out. And you, people pick up on that very quickly uh, and they pick up on it intuitively. So as a leader, hold your people accountable, push them to be better, but do it from your heart, not your head. Cool. And know that it's about them, not you. Yeah. And that's where, right, questions just come into play too, right? Like, mm -hmm. like rather than, you know, command, control, direct, it's like, how do we help other people grow into their roles, grow into success? grow into a, you know, a team and a culture, you know, it's like how, like as a leader, you've, you've really got to find ways to create the space. Right. Yeah. And so to your point, uh, you know, when you get to, you know, the Bob Knight's level or Mike Krzyzewski or whatever it is, you know, at a certain point, you got to like, you got to make sure that, you know, fear isn't driving, right. Mm -hmm. That, 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 like, I have to be number one isn't driving and, and you have to continue to, funny enough, like continue to lead from a place of service that got you there, you know, and yeah. almost let the culture, almost let the culture drive the boat, you know, and let, yes. let the people uh, around you. So I, I, you know, I love that. And, and so, you know, as I'm thinking about these questions and some of the things that you're, you know, you're asking yourself and you're asking your clients and you're tracking successes and failures and, and looking at the different roles in your life. Right. There's, there's really two things I, I think about is um, number one, how do we then prioritize, right? Because we can't attack everything all at once. So how do we then prioritize what aspect we want to go after first when we're working mm -hmm. internally? And then how do we, you know, how do people grade, you know, whether or not they're living their tent? Yeah. So I think the easiest way to prioritize it is to, well, I, I, I'll put it this way. I don't think there needs to be prioritization. 
um, because on any given day, any of your roles could be more critically important than another. Um, if I if I look at the fan my my life now, the big picture, you know, being a, being a father and being a husband are. I, I would say my two most important roles, but there are days in which, you know, maybe I'm traveling for work and I'm not really in the role of being a father or a husband much at all that day. And so I think it, what it is, is the easiest way to do it is to look at what's most recent. You know, the most recent version of you is, is the truest version of you in, in a lot of ways that your phrase you're only as good as your last game is uh is very true in life too you know um who you are in the present moment is who you are so what are the circumstances um or events in your day day in day out recently that you felt out of alignment in that you felt anxious that you felt upset and if it's, you know, I, I remember I was having a conversation with my wife about this and I was feeling really stressed about whatever it is. And we ended up getting into an argument, you know, taking a step back and saying like, okay, what role were you in, in that moment? You know, maybe husband and father, um, what was stressing you out? The fact that my kids were refusing to go to bed and it had been two hours and I was about to lose, lose my mind <laughs> that they wouldn't go to bed. And you know, on the surface, someone would say, okay, well, what were you afraid of? It's like, well, I wasn't afraid of anything. I was just angry that my kids wouldn't go to bed, right? But if we take it back to like, you know, if they only knew and who do you think you are um, and you look at what you're afraid, what you're really afraid of, it's like, well, I was afraid I wouldn't get my time. Um, I was afraid that I actually didn't have the answer or know how to get my children into bed. So in my role as a father right then, I was, I was failing and I could feel that I was failing and I didn't know what to do about it. And I felt out of control, you know, that my reality was being dictated by a five-year-old and a three-year-old who just wanted to keep eating cheesy goldfish all night. Um, and, and that I couldn't do anything about that. And so often it's like, those are the moments that we can reflect back on and say, okay, what were my expectations for that experience? What was my reality? Why is that gap between my expectations and reality causing such a triggering effect for me? Um, and, and how do I begin to build, you know, the first thing, and there are so many tools that you would need to do beyond this to, and go in more depth, which I work with my clients on. But the first thing you always have to do is just shine a light on what's going on. And then once you become aware of it, you feel so much more empowered because whether or not you can change it right away is a different story, but at least you're aware of what's going on and you, you can begin that journey. What I, I love that you're talking about, and this has been something that I've been reflecting on, is how, how much freedom comes from almost deconstructing moments and things in our lives, right? So mm -hmm. to use food, food as an example, um, Cause that's definitely one of my passions in life, uh, okay. eating it and cooking it. But, uh, is I love to know what the process, what goes into certain dishes, right? Where the food comes from, like why certain flavors and combinations make that happen to bring it to sports. Right. We love to, um, deconstruct why a certain play happened the way mm -hmm. that it did or how a certain athlete performs in the way that he or she does. Right. And, and there's kind of that beauty to that when we slow down the tape and we watch, this this thing in in real time that looks fantastical and magic 
and then we're able to kind of wrap our heads around um, a little bit more um, in that regards. What it sounds like you're talking about is what we need to do is almost slow down the game tape in our life to deconstruct some of these moments so that we can better prepare ourselves in the future um, to not necessarily just react, but um, almost build up that, uh, to build up that uh, repertoire or that um, habit or uh, whatever you might call it so that we're continuing to live the best versions of ourselves. Is that fair to say? Is that correct? Sure. Yeah, I, I think so. I mean, the truth version, the, to me, the truth definition of emotional intelligence is the time between what you do in between the, uh, um, you know, the communication coming at you and you responding to it mm-hmm. um, and the stimulus and the response, right? And so what you want to do, and they say that for every year of meditation, you can add another second of self-control in between stimulus and response i have a feeling that's something that could never be scientifically proven but um many yogis will uh will say such a thing and i mean the the moment you respond emotionally in a way that's not loving to you or loving to the people involved is the moment you're giving your power away You're giving your power away to your emotions. You're giving your power away to the circumstance. You're giving your power away to the other people in your life. And so the more you can deconstruct those moments, those small moments, right? Even if you're like cursing a guy who cut you off on the, on the road, right? Why? Like, why? Who cares? Right. And, and we, it's so easy for us to sit back and say like, yeah, like who cares? I literally got to my destination two and a half seconds after I would have otherwise. But in that moment, right, where that guy cuts you off, you get all these feelings coming up. Like, what, am I invisible? Do I not matter to him? Oh, so he thinks he can just do whatever he wants, and apparently my existence on this earth, you know, doesn't play a role in that. Um, And so we get all these very deep, deep insecurities unconsciously bubble up to the surface and then we're flicking off and cursing out some little old lady who merged into a lane because she forgot to check her her rear view mirror and um in the end our brain doesn't know the difference between what we experience and what we think and so you need to be a safeguard to your thoughts and the way you do that is by deconstructing these different moments in your life and recognize like Oh, I was on cruise control here. Napoleon Hill said in his great, great book, Outweighing the Devil, which I actually like more than thinking grow rich. Um, it, it, you know, the devil enters our life when we start drifting, which means that we're just operating through our unconscious uh, neural networks and our, our patterns, our thought patterns. And the the more conscious you can become, which really is a fancy word for aware. The more aware you can become of those moments, the more you can begin to do something about it and the less drifting you have. And you start to live your life by design, not by default. Um, Doesn't mean problems will go away, but you at least feel empowered to do something about them. You know, um, there's certainly so much that we could continue to unpack and just so much wisdom that you continue to share. But I am just curious, you know, and I know, obviously, um, we've had some conversations and stuff like that. But, you know, how, you know, 
how have you been living your 10? <laughs> right? Like, what does that look like? And, and I know that that might be a little bit loaded, but I feel like, you know, some of the things that we've talked about, I, I think are just really unique and, and uh, you know, re, you know, could benefit our listeners when they start yeah, sure. to think about like, okay, what does life look like by design? Yeah. Well, you know, it's so funny, Matt, because like I started laughing when you asked that question, because like the moment you say, Chris, how have you been living your 10? Right. Well, a question pops up in my mind. If they only knew that he doesn't always <laughs> live his 10. Right. It's like it literally like that was the first reaction to that question. Like, yeah. oh, God, if the people listening to this only knew that yeah. I didn't always do it. Like that, you know, um, so <clears throat> that's why I was laughing because I'm like, I can't even, even when I'm conscious of it, I can't keep those questions from coming I love up. It. I yeah, think, I love it. you know, I, I had a, I had a real breakthrough with the client on Monday in which he, he was just so worried about <clears throat> what people would think, what people thought of him, how people perceived him, um, winning. He wanted these people to be proud of him. You know, he's a sales executive. He wanted his bosses to be proud of him. He wanted, wanted his clients to like him and, and all of these things. And the number one thing for me, <clears throat> the number one daily practice is implementing the golden rule, uh, which sounds so simple, but it's the hardest thing I've ever done. And it's still the hardest thing I do. It is uh, treating other people the way I want to be treated. Therefore, I want to be able to just live my life freely. I want to be able to follow my heart. I want to be able to be the most authentic version of me. And while I'm on that path, I genuinely don't want people judging me for it. I don't want people disliking me. I don't want people having a problem with how I live my life. I believe I was put on this earth to live my life and no one else's life. And I don't have responsibility for anyone else outside of, you know, like, responsibility to raise my kids in a way where they can step into their power, responsibility to my family. You know, I have these responsibilities in these different roles that I have, but I as an individual do not have to do anything that I don't want to do, right? Which is loaded, right? <laughs> loaded and hard to sift through. But what I, I recognized is I, I just told myself, I'm, you know, at the time, I, I, you know, saying an affirmation of that wasn't going to work because I was so far from believing it. But what I would tell myself is <clears throat> I'm willing to believe, I'm willing to believe today that I can just be me. And I'm willing to believe that while I'm being me, the people in my life will just let me be me. In order for me to truly embrace that belief, <clears throat> There was a lot of work that went into that because what I had to first do was let other people be them. And that was really hard. You know, <clears throat> I don't really get involved in sports arguments anymore. I don't get involved in political arguments anymore. Um, if someone's doing something that is directly harmful to another person physically, I would step in, obviously. If someone's psychologically berating, you know, harming, I would step in and, and try and right the wrong, obviously. Um, I, I'm not going to just sit back and see those things happen. But for the most part, I just don't get involved. I just let people be who they want to be and how they want to be. And the more I can allow other people to do it, the more I believe other people are giving me that same permission. And um, 
that's what you find in your reality. And for that's the number one thing for when you say like, how are you living your 10? It's I'm recognizing that everyone has greatness within them. The only thing that holds them back is their programming and their fear. And I'm compassionate to that. And I allow them to be who they want to be with no judgment. And because I do that, I believe other people allow me to do the same, which really gives me a significant amount of permission to love myself the way that I really want to love myself. The reason we love it when people give us great feedback and show love to us is because it's the brief moment where those people through their words and their actions are giving permission to us to feel the way about ourselves that we really want to feel, right? I want to feel like a 10 all the time. Why do I love hitting home runs? Because when I hit a home run, everyone's cheering me on and they're treating me like a 10. And for that brief moment, society and other people have given me, provide a permission structure for me to love myself the way I genuinely always want to love myself. And that's why those moments of achievement and success in our life are so addictive and we chase them so much because it's those brief moments where circumstances and society and other people have given us permission to love ourselves the way we deep down really just want to always love ourselves. So if you give that permission to other people by not judging them and allowing them to be who they are and genuinely from your heart, celebrating them for being them on their path and their journey, you provide that permission for other people. You really allow them to feel the love and the joy that you bring to their life. And you're constantly reflecting that permission back to yourself. The moment you judge someone else or the moment you're critical of someone else, you're just reflecting that judgment and criticism back on yourself. Um, you, we're all our own worst critic by far, and it's not even close. So that, those are the things I, I try and keep in mind as I navigate my um, relationships and my life day to day. That's awesome. Um, and uh, I, I love that. And I think that's a, a good place for us to, to sort of uh, just kind of close down and everything. And so, um, Chris, if people are uh, so um, searching for their 10, if they need help finding their 10, how can they best connect with you? How can they uh, uh, best find you? Sure. So I'm on, I, I'm on Instagram at live your 10, you know, I'm on LinkedIn under uh, Christopher Caldwell. Um, and, uh, my website is liveyour10.co, C-O, not .com. So liveyour10.co. And, um, you can reach out to me and connect with me there. Um, ju just to chat, to get advice, um, or, or to see if it, it would make sense to work together. Um, basically if you're feeling that like your life on paper dictates that you should be a hell of a lot happier than you are. Mm. And if you ever feel that feeling, um, that that's a problem. And I want to tell you that it's not a problem that should or needs to be ignored. It is some, there is something you can do about it. And there is a way you can begin to reframe uh, your thoughts and your beliefs and to take action in a different direction. Um, and by doing that, you, like you said, Chris, you unconsciously give other people in your life who you love permission to do this, do the same. So it's not just a selfish act. It's an unbelievably selfless act uh, to, to do your own inner work because then you, by example, um, inspire other people who you love to, to do the same. Well, 
Chris, uh, thank you so much for everything that you shared. Uh, you've definitely given um, both Matt and I a lot to, to think about and, and uh, reflect on, which I'm sure we'll unpack on our next run. But uh, <laughs> if uh, you guys want to learn more about Chris, uh, de definitely check out his uh, site, liveyour10.co. Again, that's liveyour10.co. And we'll have all those other links that he mentioned and uh, ways that you can connect with him in the show notes. But Chris, Thank you so much for uh, taking time to slow down with us and uh, just share a little bit of your life. Of course. Yeah. Thanks for having me on. This was, this was great. I really appreciate it. Matt, uh, another great conversation. Um, I know I say that every week, but you know, again, it, all these conversations are great. And what I loved about our conversation with Chris is how much it forced me at least to, to think about, um, you know, the different relationships I had, the different persona that I give out there, um, the different uh, way I project myself. Uh, so I really appreciate Chris being on the show. Um, why don't you share with everyone uh, a few of the takeaways that you, you grasped from our conversation with Chris? Yeah, I mean, I you know, I think the number one thing that stands out to me um, and I think that that might even be showing up for me in my life is, is just how many doors and how much impact you can have when you finally turn the focus inwards and you get really like, whether it's comfortable in your own skin or just authentic in, you know, who you are when you're with people, um, what gives you energy, what doesn't, I, I think that Chris is, is has uh, unlocked some of that potential. It, feel, it feels like he's on a journey to continue unlocking that. Um, but, uh, you know, my biggest takeaway was I just love, love, love the fact that he's, he's uh, you know, really helping to guide people, um, you know, work on bettering themselves. Yeah, and I love the question you asked at the end where you asked him, um, uh, how are you living your 10? And he was just purely authentic about it and jumped right into it. And so anytime you meet someone who is practicing what they're preaching and, and living out um, those qualities, uh, it's refreshing and it's motivating and encouraging. Well, yeah. And what's interesting, Chris, is, um, you know, we'll have to have Chris on another time. I'm not going to, uh, you know, share his story of, you know, what we've talked about. Um, but not, none of it was external materialistic experiences, right? It wasn't like, oh, well, we went to Hawaii and, you know, like I'm flying on a private jet to keynote speech, speeches and stuff like that. It, it, to your point, it was, it was, man, I am just living in alignment with who I am. And that allows me to best show up for all these roles uh, that I play in my life. And I, I think that's just tremendous and authentic as you had said. Definitely, definitely. So uh, if you guys enjoyed this conversation with Chris, uh, we are glad, we are happy, and uh, and uh, we would love for you to share this episode uh, with your friends and your family and your neighbors. And um, we'd also love if you left us a review, um, especially a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or anywhere that this podcast can be heard. And if you want to learn more about Chris, We'll have all that information in the show notes um, or on our website, betweenthemiles.com. And if you want to leave a comment or reach out to us, uh, definitely shoot us an email at info at betweenthemiles.com. And of course, you can find us on Facebook and Instagram. But 
Again, on behalf of Matt, we are so glad that you could join us for this conversation with Chris. And speaking of Chris's, I'm Chris, and with me is Matt. We're slowing down, talking to the people around us between the miles. This has been a Between the Miles production. Your hosts, Chris Wesley and Matt Wells. Music provided by Jam Studio, Wide Open Road. For more information, visit our website at betweenthemiles.com.